0: listening to sermons from South Point Locust Grove, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpoint.org. to see you here this morning if you don't know south point has a website you can go to southpoint.org and you can find out all of the things that are going on here in our body and um, find out all the information that you need you wonder about being in dna there's information there life groups the information's there upcoming events the information is there and then uh, let me encourage you to Uh, Click on in your email every week that Monday email that comes in at about 9 a.m. And that Thursday email with a newsletter from one of our pastors that comes in uh, every Thursday right at 9 a.m. We would love for you to keep up with what's going on and all of the different events that are happening. Um, Some of you are aware that today is Jeff Cobble's last, last day as one of our pastors at South Point, particularly in Uh, McDonough, and there will be a reception for him right after this service from 12 to 1. If you know Jeff and you'd just like to go and uh, tell him that you love him as he and his family moved to the Fayetteville area, I think they've purchased or in the process of purchasing a house there, found that right after they announced uh, their departure here, and they'll be moving there and serving at the the Pinecrest Church. Um, We'd also, um, I think, miss something if we didn't take a minute to feel the weight of what's going on in our world, and uh, think about our brothers and sisters in Christ who are in the Ukraine, who are in Russia, um, who are in surrounding nations that are trying to help those that are in those places, Um, and not only can we pray, but we have missionaries in Romania that are taking in some of the families that are leaving the Ukraine, and so we can give additionally to support them, and so let me encourage you to, to, to do that. Um, but also let me encourage you to kind of reflect on the fact that the only hope for anybody anywhere at any time is jesus christ He is the hope of the world and we need to spread good news Jesus came and lived a life that no one else could live lived the life that we were supposed to live but can't because of our sin nature Jesus died the death that we deserve to die He took our sin on himself and bore it and paid the the, the full price for our sin and rose victorious um, he is alive, seated at the right hand of the Father. And if you will trust him, then you can have the hope of eternal life. And the, the people in Ukraine and the people in Russia need that same hope. That's their only hope. You say, well, I don't, I don't believe in God. Well, I, I'll tell you, you may not believe in God, but you better look across the pond and believe in evil because it is there. And, and you can see it all around the nation that we live in. And uh, if there is evil that is that powerful and that wretched, then our only hope is that there is a God who is loving and kind and more powerful than the evil that is behind these forces that we see at work in our world. We're in Luke chapter 12 this morning and verse number 13. And I don't have an interesting story to tell you to introduce this text. Jesus has already shared some interesting stories in the text that we're going to read, some illustrations that we're going to read this morning, But before we look at Luke 12, verse 13, I want to uh, back up for a second and tell you how we got there. Jesus took uh, chapter 1, verse 1 to chapter 9 and verse 50 to introduce himself, to introduce John the Baptist, and to introduce his ministry to us up to Luke chapter 9 and verse 50. Where we've gotten to when we get to Luke chapter 9 and verse 50 is through the first 18 months of the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. When we come to Luke chapter 9 and verse number 51, something shifts, and I want to read that again. It says in Luke 9, 51, we see now the beginning of the second 18 months of the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. It says, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. So as we read Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 13, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to die for your sin and my sin. And he sent messengers ahead of them, so he's preparing them not only for his going to Jerusalem, but he's also preparing them, we see in chapter 10, for them to go out after he ascends to heaven to go and begin the church in the book of Acts. And he sent messengers ahead of him. And he went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because, why did they not receive him? Because his face was set toward Jerusalem. As he goes to Jerusalem, Jesus is not going to be received In fact, Jesus is going to be challenged. Jesus is going to be uh, opposed. This is going to be the nature of his ministry moving forward. We're going to see the Pharisees. We're going to see the lawyers. They're going to be calling Jesus Christ into question. But he set his face to go to Jerusalem. So he's on his way to Jerusalem. As he's on his way to Jerusalem, we come to chapter 10 and, and J- Jesus sends the 72 out there rejoicing. He says, don't rejoice that you're casting out demons, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And then in the latter part of chapter 10, we come to the story of the good Samaritan and a lawyer asked Jesus a question and he asked him a good question. And Jesus asked him a question when the lawyer asked a question. And the question is this, what, what, what is the essence of eternal life? What do I need to do to be saved? And Jesus gave an answer that we would say is the the summary of the scriptures, the summary of the Old Testament, the summary of the law. He said, you need to love God. You need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. We hear that over and over again It's said in different ways. Ways, but he's essentially saying that if you want to sum all of this up into one big idea, it is there is this holy God in heaven who desires to relate to sinful man, and he has made that possible by sending his son to bear his full wrath and fury on our behalf so that we might be received by him as his sons. So when he says, when it says, love the Lord your God, he's not saying, okay, let me give you some things that you really need to work hard on. He's saying, you need to understand that life is about a relationship with this God and everything that we're talking about points to that relationship and everything that he now is warning them about are barriers to a relationship with that God. Don't miss that. The the lawyer stands up. Jesus begins to teach. Mary and Martha have their thing going on. Mary's sitting sitting at the feet of Jesus. Martha is scurrying about saying, well, I want my sister. Come help me. I'm so busy trying to get lunch ready. And Jesus is like, hey, Martha, Mary is uh, really doing probably the greater thing here. Not that what you're doing is not important, but a relationship with me is what's important. And then he comes to chapter 11 and he talks about prayer and, and how desperately his disciples and how desperately we need to live lives of dependence upon him and how accessible he is and how much he wants to give us the Holy Spirit if we will ask him. And then he comes into this confrontation that we're continuing to see the residue of when we even come to chapter 12 and verse number 13. And here's here's what Jesus is saying as he enters into this section that we're looking at. First of all, Jesus is saying that here's why I have come. I have come so that we can have a relationship, a love relationship. It's throughout the Bible. I have come. And I am coming to you telling you over and over and over again that I want to be the very center of your life. I want to be the very center of your existence. I want to be the very center of all that you are. Now, we're content to have Jesus as a, as a couple of hours on Sunday, Right? We're content to have Jesus as a 15-minute devotional or listening to a podcast. Jesus is saying, no, hold on. I want to be the very center of your life. But he's telling us that there are these barriers that are very common among us that keep him from being this love relationship with, with Almighty God. There are, there are real barriers that stand between us and him. And he, right out of the chute, we looked at it uh, when they started calling Jesus Be, Be, Our Our presuppositions about God and how to relate to him stand in the way of Jesus Christ being the center of our lives and our loving him and understanding how he loves us and our loving each other. That's that's what he gets to. These guys are like, no, 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 you're not not the son of God. You are Beelzebub. Why why would you call him Beelzebub? Because you don't fit our system. You don't fit our presuppositional understanding of who God is. You don't don't measure up to who we thought God was going to be and what we thought God was going to do and what we thought Jesus was going to say. And so they're like, no, no, there are these presuppositions that are in our way. There are these things that we think about God that that are inconsistent with who God is. And we go with the things that we think about God rather than, than going with the God as he reveals himself. And so he said, look out for these presuppositions. You're in the dark. Last week, we looked at hypocrisy. You can't have presuppositions and have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. God and be and have him at the center of your life. What you and I will do is we will move our presuppositions about him, our thoughts about him that are inconsistent with his word and who he really is. We'll move them to the center of our life and that they be the lens that we look through. But he said, secondly, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. What is he saying? He's saying there is a real temptation. Why would he tell his disciples to do that? There is a real temptation to somehow, instead of having Jesus Christ at the center of your life and my life, there's a real temptation to project this image of who we want people to think that we are. That's hypocrisy. Quite frankly, most of us live in and out of that image. And Jesus is saying, look... My my relationship with you is one of love and your relationship with each other is supposed to be one of love. And essentially what the church ends up being is a group of people that are living and relating to each other on the basis of projected image. And that is no relationship at all. That is so diametrically opposed to what life is like in my kingdom. Life in my kingdom is not a bunch of people walking in, acting like they're holy and spiritual and godly and have got it all together and don't have any problems and can't be honest and transparent and vulnerable. That's not my kingdom. And so he's saying, listen, you'll never know love. We will never know love. We will never know his love for us. We will never know how to love him if we're living in this hypocritical world where we are projecting images and we are plastic people relating to plastic people. That is no relationship at all. There is no love. There is no joy. There is no spiritual growth in that context. Unfortunately, though, we take these projected images and we move them to the center of our lives and we live out of them as opposed to Christ being at the center of our lives. He comes to a, a different section, the section that we're in today, and he deals with the issue of covetousness. Now, maybe you've struggled with hypocrisy, but certainly nobody here struggles with covetousness. Amen. I would venture to say that the thing that worries us most most about the war into Ukraine is not our brothers and sisters in Christ, who are probably going to lose their lives. But the thing that worries us most about the war in Ukraine is that it's probably the number three or four producer of grain in the world, and it may cause our bread prices to go up. And I would say that probably the biggest thing that worries us about war is the impact on the stock market and what it's doing to our retirement accounts. I hate this war. And I would suppose that we are really worried about all this going on in the world because we can't get a a car at a decent price. Hallelujah. Can somebody say amen? I mean, my, my car is fine and it's got air conditioning and a radio and the tires roll. But Lord have mercy, don't I deserve better? Amen. Don't I deserve better? And and I would suppose that we're upset that prices are going up and inflation's going up to 10%. And yes, I think there are political ramifications and there's good and bad leadership and we're not in a season of good leadership. Not sure when the last time was that we were. But gas prices just threw the roof. And I think we're worried about that. But I don't think we're too worried about the folks that are beaten up bloodied up shot up had to leave their homes children dying bombs flying through windows and i think that's more of a reflection of our heart which is probably more of a covetous heart than a heart where jesus christ is at the center of it right and so jesus deals with this issue of hypocrisy which ladies and gentlemen we are all guilty of If we are not busy projecting an inaccurate image of ourselves, we are busy hiding our true selves. And then he comes to this section on covetousness. And covetousness is us taking our resources, our possessions, and the power and the sense of self-worth and the sense of self-determination that they give us and placing them at the center of our world because we have control when we have stuff and we have money. Our bank accounts are big. We can do whatever we want to. We can go wherever we want to. There is so much power associated with that as opposed to bringing Jesus Christ to the center of our world. And he may tell us to give it all away. Oh, hold on. Hold on. Or he may say, why don't you trust me? Because I may not give you the same outcome that you're buying with your money. And so he challenges our covetousness. The, the text is broken down into two sections. Chapter 12, in verse number, beginning in verse number 13, Jesus shows us the, the danger of miscalculating the meaning of life. The danger of miscalculating the meaning of life. Let me read uh, verses um, 13 to 21. Notice what he says. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. (laughs) Sounds like a lot of our prayer requests, doesn't it? (laughs) Hey, Jesus, would you just make things work out the way I need for them to work out? right? It's probably a younger brother who has an older brother. And the older brother is probably the arbiter of the will. That's kind of the way things happen. If you check out Deuteronomy. And and so the younger brother is probably not getting the results he wants from the older brother. And he's going to Jesus saying, Jesus, I, I really, I really would love to have my money out of the will, And if you would just go talk to my brother and work this out for me, Jesus, Jesus was amazing. But he said to a man who made me a judge or an arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take care. He kind of kind of stacks up these words here. Take care and be on guard against. Against. Like there's there's three things stacked up, up here. Take care, be on guard, but also be on guard uh, against, making sure that you stay away from all covetousness all forms of covetousness covetousness you may be as poor as a church mouse and be covetous right you may be you may not have anything and have covetousness in your heart notice what jesus said he said for one's life and here's the issue with the text what is life what is life? Whatever you think life is, is the thing that you're dragging into the center of your existence. If you think your relationship with your wife is life, then your wife is the center of your world. If you think your relationship with your kids is life, then you bring your kids to the, to the center of your world. If you think that the things that you own in your possessions are life, you bring them to the center of your world. If you think your money is life, you bring it to the center of your world. And, and, and so, so, so Jesus said one's life, what is, what is real life does not consist of the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying the land of a rich man produced plentifully. I think it's interesting that the text points out that the land was the thing that did the producing. The man was just Blessed. And somehow he associated blessing with, number one, his performance, and number two, him deserving that, and number three, he took all of the blessing that God had given him and produced from the ground, and he brought it to the center of his life, saying, this is the thing that I'm going to live for. This is going to be my life. And he thought to himself. That's usually what successful people do successful people think to themselves successful people are done with calling in other people to counsel them right i know of uh, heard of pastors i don't know of them heard of pastors who would not take advice from any other pastor because no other pastor had a church as big as their pastor Basically, you set yourself up to be the only source of your own advice. And let me just warn you this morning, beware of the conversations that you have with yourself about yourself, because you are probably going to end up giving yourself some really bad advice somewhere along the way. Because we have this tendency not only to surround ourselves with people who tell us what we want to hear, but when we're having a conversation with the fool in the mirror, we, 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 make, we want to make sure they tell us what we want to hear as well. So we have these conversations with ourselves about ourselves. And here is this man and he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. I've got more than I literally need. God has caused the ground to produce so profusely. And he said, notice what he says over and over again. I will, 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 I will. I will, I'm in control. I am in control. I determined my own destiny. Self-determinism. It is baked into our fallen nature. I will decide. I will determine. I will make it happen. I will. I will do this. I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build large ones. And there I will store my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, I will, I will, I will, my soul. So he's having a conversation with his soul. He's having a conversation with the core of his being. He's having a conversation with the thing that makes him alive. And the very thing that makes him alive is the breath of God. It is God who gives life. It is God who sustains life. But he uh, all of a sudden has isolated himself from God. So he thinks. And he says, Sold, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. What's going on with this man is he basically is looking at his success and he's looking at his life and and he's looking at his stuff and he's recognizing that he has exceeded in his accumulation at a far higher level than he ever thought he would or could. And he says, you know what I want to do? I want to go build more storage places so that I can take the things that I have accumulated and I want to put the things that I've accumulated in these storage facilities so that and the wording there literally in the text are words for hospitality and entertainment. He said, I want to create space, hospitable space for my possessions so that I can go and be entertained with my abundance. Wow. I want to be entertained with my success. I want to be entertained and intoxicated with my accomplishments. Let me build some barns. Let me let me get some let me get some of those theater chairs with the drink holders. Let me just sit down and rock back and forth and look at the things that I have accomplished. And then my soul will be uh, merry. Verse 16, euphoric. So here is a man who was created to, in the image of God, to have a relationship with God and to have a relationship with other people. And he's taken the relationship with God and he's taken the relationship with people and he's moved him out of the way and he's taken stuff and he's put it in the center. And now all of his decisions and all of his thoughts and all of his conversations are centered around his relationship with his possessions. So, so we, we go from hypocrisy, which is the projection of a fake image, which renders us incapable of having human relationships that God intends. But, but now we go to objectification. Now, every relationship that I do have has this goal of me being able to get people to cooperate in my strategy so that I can achieve these materialistic objectives so that I can go and look at all that I have accumulated and I can be entertained by it and I and those who look at me can now feel the weight of my glory. Amen. Amen. Somebody's with me. Verse 20, but God, but God. Bite that hook, you can, just, you can just run all over the place with it. Feels good. You're like, oh, I got, I got the worm, and I got the hook, and I got loose. And I made my plans, and I made good on my plans, And I've accomplished all that I've wanted to accomplish. But God said, hold on just a minute, buddy. You're not in control. I am. Hold on just a minute. You're not in control. I am. Hold hold on just a minute. They weren't your crops. They were mine to begin. Hold hold on just a minute. It's not your will. It's my will. Hold, Hold on just a minute. It's not your soul. It's my soul. But God said to him, fool. He, he, wasn't, he wasn't a fool because he, he wasn't a good businessman. He was a good businessman. He was killing it. He was killing He was making, boy, he was pushing the buttons, pulling the levers. He was adding it up. Everybody loved his crops. Everybody loved his corn. Everybody loved his grain. Everybody loved his butter piece, whatever he was planting. I don't know what it was, but everybody thought it was great. And he was making money hand over fist and, and he was investing his money and he probably had Bitcoin stacked up out in his morning. I don't know what in the world he was doing while he was doing all that, but he was extremely successful. He wasn't a fool because he was, he was not a smart businessman. He was a fool because of his failure to have Jesus Christ at the center of his life and value spiritual things that was why he was a fool he says but but you fool this night this very night your soul is required of you and the things that you have prepared whose will they be the things that you have stored up whose will they be have you ever been to a nursing home <laughs> I don't mind visiting, but I don't want to go stay. Amen. You ever been to visit anybody with Alzheimer's? You ever been to hospice unit? It's pretty, it's pretty sad, isn't it? There's nothing there. Cheap TV might be 23 inches. Institutional furnishings, you know bed with all kind of hinges so they can put your feet up your head up whatever I'm I'm not making fun my dad was in there I visited over and over again saddest thing in the world everything that you live for and everything that you accumulate it doesn't matter then and it's going to happen to every single one of us everything that we live for and everything that we accumulate it's not going to matter then it's not going to matter it's not going to matter we think it is but it's not it's not going to matter You know what the saddest thing about going to a nursing home is? You know what the saddest thing about going to an Alzheimer's unit is? You know what the saddest thing about going to hospice? Usually there are people at hospice, but usually there aren't people in a nursing home. The saddest thing about being in a nursing home, the saddest thing about losing your mind and sit there in a room by yourself is that nobody else is there. Nobody else is there. It's just lonely. Life was not intended to be lived And joy will not be found in life apart from Jesus Christ being the center of your life and you being in relationship with Him and you being in relationship with other people who have made Him the center of their lives. That's what the body of Christ is supposed to be. But here is this man who said, I'm going to have a relationship with stuff. I am going to be a covetous man. I'm going to be a man who not only is going to be satisfied with what I have, but I'm going to want more and more and more and more. And I'm going to want to exceed my need so much that I can store it up. Jesus closes it out by saying, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God are you laying up treasure for yourself are you rich toward God are you rich toward God are the resources that God has blessed you with you say you want you want you trying to get in my pocket I don't want I don't want your money and if it's your money and it's your barns and it's your grains, you just go take them and, and, and call me when you get there and I'll bring some gas and I'll put it on you and them and you can just burn up and go spend eternity in a real hot place. I'm not trying to get in your pocket. I don't want your money. If, if you're worried about me taking your money, you take your money and may you and your money perish together. I don't want it. I, I know that sounds rude and crude and 1980-ish. But folks, Jesus Christ doesn't need your money. In fact, Jesus Christ doesn't need your heart. But your heart needs him. Your heart needs him. And if you've taken taken anything else and you've moved it to the center of your life, Jesus looks at you and says, you fool. You fool. Why are you putting these things at the center of your life? Because that is where I belong. That is where I belong. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Make sure when you die, if you die with nothing of this world's possessions, make sure you die and have lived a life that has been rich toward God. And it begins with Jesus Christ being the center of your life. It does not begin with you writing a check and putting it in the box at the back of the room. If you will give him your heart, then his kingdom's work will never want for lack of resources. It just won't. But if I've got to stand up here and manipulate your money out of you, which I don't want, then we've accomplished nothing. The second thing we see is not only the danger of miscalculating the meaning of life, but we see the reason for recalibrating the meaning of life. The reason for recalibrating the meaning of life. And he said to his disciples, verse 22, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. (laughs) Um, The word anxious means to go in many different directions. The word anxious means to go to pieces. He says, don't be over anxious about your life. Don't be divided into parts. Don't compartmentalize your life. When we become anxious, we compartmentalize life into what we want to control and what we want God to control. Do you hear me? Anxiety comes when I think if I yield control to God, that he may not do with what I have given him, what I think he should do with it. That's where anxiety comes in. Anxiety comes when we trust ourselves and our desires more than we trust him and the desires that he has for us. And so he says, don't be anxious. Don't think that you can trust yourself. Trust me. Now, you wouldn't know it by looking at facebook or looking at instagram or looking at tv he said do not be anxious about your life what you will eat some of the biggest fights some of y'all have in your family is over where you're going to eat you're going to fight before you leave the parking lot today over where you're going to eat for lunch today and somebody's going to want pizza and somebody's going to say we had pizza last night right somebody's going to want mexican and somebody's going to say we had mexican thursday night how creative do you have to be? Tag on, give me a bowl of soup. Amen. And surprise me. Maybe it's hot water with some salt in it. I don't know. But life life is not about what we eat. It's not about our body, it's not about our clothing. Life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. But we don't live like it is. Life is more than food, but the body is more than clothing. Life is more than material possessions. Life is more than what you live in. Life is more than the furniture you sit on. Life is more than the car you drive. Life is more than the computer that you operate. Life is more than everything that you could imagine or think of. Life is more than anything that man has created in this world verse 24 consider the ravens ravens are scavengers you ever seen a raven out planting in the dirt no they don't plant the dirt they come get the seeds that you planted in the dirt and they're saying praise god from whom all blessings flow while they do it you hit a squirrel and you felt bad they were praising god time for supper guys let's go the the, the ravens are just they're just provided for consider the ravens the ravens aren't worried i don't know what the birds are thinking about as they line up on the line but they all made it there somehow they had the energy to do it and they're going to go find something to eat so they will have the energy to do it tomorrow i looked out last night at 2 a.m and looked in my backyard and there was a a possum out there those are some nasty looking creatures my kids are sending me pictures of, of, is it a sloth? They're sending me pictures of a sloth. And they said, dad, when you let your hair grow out, you look like a sloth. And I'm just like, <laughs> my, fam- my family's just having a nervous breakdown because I've let my hair grow out a little bit. <laughs> I-, I got tired of looking at the 63-year-old splotches in my scalp. Okay, but God help me. And I got it patted down and matted down and glued down and concreted down this morning. Everything's fine. but that's good preaching, isn't it? <laughs> but that, that possum, he's, he's not worried. He's just going to go try to find something. There's always something there when he digs around and leaves the grass messed up in the backyard. The ravens are the same way. They're not, they're not, they're not worried about anything. They don't have a storehouse, they don't have a barn, yet God feeds them. And notice what he says, of how much more value are you than the birds? Jesus is saying, I'm going to take care of you. Would you move me to the center of your life? I'm going to take care of you. Would you stop worrying about everything else that's going on around you? I'm going to take care of you. Would you stop worrying about how you're going to take care of all of these things that you have no control over to start with? I'm going to take care of you. I love you. I love you. Would you move me to the center and think about our relationship? <laughs> Which of you, by being anxious, by compartmentalizing your life, by your life going to pieces, by trying to figure stuff out, can add a single hour to his span of life? Somebody else is in control of time, and somebody else is in control of my time, and somebody else is in control of my life, and it's God. God. If you then are not able to do a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. They're not laboring. They're not weary. They're not tired. They're not out there like, come on, guys, let's do it. We, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? Oh, you of little faith... He said that five times in the scriptures and every time he said, oh, you of little faith, he's talking about a people who have heard him speak, but will not trust what he has said. Oh, you of little faith. Will you act on what I'm telling you? He says. And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried The word worried means, it's where we get our word meteor, um, a, a meteor flying through space. The word worried means to be suspended in space. The word worry means to be suspended in space. In other words, the word worried means that we are out of control. And when we are worried, it is because we are wanting to be in control. When we are worried, it's because we feel out of control and we want to be in control because we want to move our will and our desire and our life and our covetousness and our hypocrisy to the center of our being so that we can have the world like we want it. But when Jesus Christ is the center of our lives and we're in this love relationship with him and we're in this Holy Spirit-filled love relationship with each other, we are literally at his mercy and live by his grace and he is in control of us. And while that is the best place and the safest place and the most joyful place to be, our flesh rebels against it. Do not seek what you are to eat to drink nor be worried for all the nations of the world seek after these things everybody in the world all eight billion of us however many there are now all eight billion of us are all after the same thing that is just basic intuitive human nature i need something to put on and i want it to look good i need something to eat and i want it to taste good and that's all we think about and he's like don't worry about those things no you be different you move me to the center because there is a father who knows you There is a father who knows you. There is a father who knows everything about you. There is this father who loves you so much. Right? He knows everything about you. He knows everything that you're going through. He knows everything that you need. And rather than you being anxious and rather than you being worried and rather than you trying to just figure everything out and work everything out and rather than you worried about building barns, thinking, well, what's, what's going to happen if the depression comes again? What's, what's going to happen if all of our money runs out? What's going to happen if I run out of bullets? You know, what's going to happen if I run out of gas? What's going to happen? You might just have to trust God. You might just have to trust God. And he's saying that's where you need to be to start with. That's where we need to be to start with. Instead, seek his kingdom. So there is this father that knows us. There is this father that knows everything about us. There is this father in this kingdom that is going to give us everything we need. And he said, so instead, instead of being covetous and instead of being a hypocrite, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you move Jesus Christ to the the center he says verse 32 fear not little flock for it is your father's good pleasure. The word good pleasure means uh, d- to delights. In other words, the, the father who knows you, the father who provides for your needs, the father who wants you and invites you into and has prepared a place for you in his kingdom, the father who is going to make sure all that your needs are met. It, it, is, it is the father who says you are his little flock. You are his possession. He delights in you and he delights to give you the kingdom, and that's what your heart ultimately longs for. We want to create these many kingdoms of our own to the neglect of the kingdom that God invites us into where he is king of kings and lord of lords. Verse 33, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, the word the word fail there means um let me let me find it. Um it means it means that it, it will never it will never go it will never spoil, it will never run out, it will always be available. You, you can't put it in a barn. You can't store it up in a barn. where no thief approaches and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The, the five things in recalibrating our heart and, and, and the text to make them clear. Number one, God knows more about you than you know about yourself. His kingdom is the kind of place that once you enter into it and rest there, you will forget about everything that you thought you had to have for life. And you will realize that he alone knows and meets all of your needs and that he alone is life. The Father delights in you and delights to have you in his kingdom. All that the Father provides is unfailing. It cannot be stored in a barn or left behind. If your heart is in the kingdom, your treasure will be there too. And I'm calling on you today. I'm calling on you to denounce your presuppositional perspectives and your religious views that are inconsistent with who jesus christ is i'm calling on you today to renounce hypocrisy and let us be real and vulnerable move jesus christ to the center of your life i'm calling on you today to renounce covetousness the, the world, the kingdom that we have constructed, the sense of security, the sense of success, the sense of power that we have, that we, that we our knuckles are, are white. We cling to it. We the and live for his kingdom this morning. Um, just just a, a couple of thoughts as I close, some things that I wrote down that I didn't have the time to type into my notes. Our propensity for covetousness is rooted in our need to control our own destiny. Our propensity for covetousness is rooted in our need to control our own destiny. And my dear friends, you do not control your own destiny. God controls our destiny, and I would plead with you, he is so good, he is so good, he wants such good things for you. I would plead with you to release all and trust him. I would also say that the goal is not to not be a hypocrite. So I don't want you to leave today saying, well, I, if I can just not be a hypocrite, I'll be okay. Or I'm, I'm not a hypocrite, so I'm okay. The goal is not to not be a hypocrite. The goal is not to not be covetous. That's not the goal. So don't leave here today saying that, that oh, I'm okay. I'm not a hypocrite. I'm, I'm going to go to DNA and I'm just going to tell them all. I'm going to tell them everything about me, every detail. The goal is not to not be a hypocrite. The goal is not for you to give up everything and walk out in the same heart condition that you walked in with. The goal is to stop using hypocrisy and covetousness as a means of acquiring what we think is life. The reason we're hypocrites and project an image is because we think that if we can make people think a certain way about us that that makes us feel alive that's what the text is dealing with and we think that if we can just get enough just get enough get to a certain place and be secure enough we think that we will be okay because we think that those things that we have accumulated are the things that give us life and they fly in the face of the gospel Because the gospel would tell us that life is found in Christ and Christ alone. And the power of the body of Christ is not in our ability to project an image that makes us look really holy and not in our ability to accumulate resources so that we can have uh, facilities and, and do things in the material world. The power of the body of Christ is that we are a people who have said, Jesus Christ, you are the very center of our lives and we are in love with you love the lord your god with all of your heart mind soul and strength and we rest in your love for us and we will let you provide for us like you provide for the ravens and we will let your beauty because of your life in us unfold from us like the beauty of the lilies in the field and that will be seen as we relate as the people of God who are in love with each other. We're not a bunch of phonies. We're not a bunch of hypocrites. We're not wearing masks. We're not projecting an image. You can't relate to that. We're not trying to relate to stuff and objectifying people so they can help us amass more. No, Christ is at the center. And that is the goal. The goal is to stop using these things, these sins, as a means of acquiring what we think is life why am i hypocrite why am i covetous if i can control how people view me that is life if i think those things give me value then i feel alive when i have there's something that feels really good about seeing a box on my front porch from amazon when i get home now i don't know what was in the last box But I'll make sure another one's coming. Hypocrisy and covetousness are poor, life-draining substitutes for real life. Jesus is challenging us. He says, Whosoever will deny me before men, him will I deny before my Father, which is in heaven. He that gathers not with me scatters, abroad and he makes these broad sweeping powerful exclusive statements about his kingdom renounce these things and come into my kingdom scripture not only points to Jesus Christ so that we can have academic and empirical knowledge of him but so that we can be in a relationship with him and each other I would beg you this morning not to miss that not to let Possessions dominate your thinking in your life. Prosperity and self-determinism. I'll close with this statement. We'll take communion. Prosperity and self-determinism go hand in hand. Prosperity and self-determinism go hand in hand. They just do. If I I can control my life Through possessions and resources Then I can determine my destiny Prosperity and self-determinism Go hand in hand But there is something That is profoundly beneficial When suffering Shocks us Not with a knock on the door But by knocking the door down You say what's the benefit of suffering? Suffering quite frankly, breaks us away from our propensity for hypocrisy. <laughs> Man, when we're suffering, it's like the mask is off. It's like the, the, the show is over. Life gets real when we suffer. But there is something about suffering that causes us while we're alive to realize we're not in control. There is something about suffering that causes us while we're alive, to realize that we're not in control. If you're here today and you're suffering, I want to tell you that that is probably a greater gift of God than winning the $105 million lottery. And that's what it's up to right now. It's probably a greater gift than everything going your and my way. And so I would called you to renounce self-determinism. I would call you to renounce our dependence upon prosperity. I would call you, if you're living that way, you're so tired, you're so worried, you're so deceived and there is a kingdom that you can be invited into where there is life, where there is love, where there is joy, where there is a Father who delights in you because of the finished work of Jesus Christ turn loose, come into the kingdom and enjoy him and what he's provided